Lord, as we uh, have gathered once more, we've gathered in your name. We have no authority outside of your word. We have no good news outside of what you have done and, and who you are through your son, Jesus Christ. And so it is this reason that we have gathered as your followers, as, as your messengers, as your representatives, as your ambassadors, as your children. Speak to us through your word today. Of how we can do what you have called us all to do. Declare the good news of the gospel. Beginning with those that are closest to us. And beginning with those that we love the most. Save those we love today, Lord. For the glory of your great name. Let us, God, be a part of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a copy of God's Word, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. As we just pause in our study of 1 Corinthians to talk about evangelism. Evangelism. We're going to be talking about this in multiple ways. You've seen this book. Let me grab it right here right quick. This is my book. In other words, what I'm asking you to do today is when you go out, you're going to see a chalkboard. I want you to write down the initials or the first name of that one person. And then you're going to write their name in this book. You're going to pray for them for 30 days. I'm going to stop praying for them at the end of 30 days. But this is an intentional, scripture-driven way to focus ourselves on evangelism, beginning with that one person. So stand with me. Let's see what God's Word has to say about this and uh, to us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are going to begin in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. But we are not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God, of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's Word. You can be seated. So if you've studied a little of the background of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, you understand that the first letter and the second letter have the same context, the same audience, the same author, the same issues going on as we've already laid out. I'm going to come back to this at the end, but I want you to think about this. This is an important question. If you ask Paul, if we could bring Paul in here and we ask Paul, Paul, who's your one? What would he say? Come back to that question at the end. I, I hate and I hope you do. I, I can't stand just to, just to land in a text right in the middle of it. So let's make sure we understand a little bit. Look with me at the beginning of 2 Corinthians. Look at the beginning of chapter 5. You see, the essential context leads us to these essential resolves we're going to talk about today. We have to know this. We have to have placed this firmly in the ground in the stakes of our lives in verses 1 to 6. We have to know first, look at the end of verse 1, that we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 2 is simply their ally, this tent. That means my flesh. I am on our heavenly dwelling, trapped in this flesh. It's weak and it groans, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We're not going to read all of it today. Read it later. Here's what he is saying. He's saying you must know if you're going to be the evangelist God called you to be, you must know without a shadow of a doubt that your home is in heaven. And according to this text, it is eternal, indestructible, longed for, and guaranteed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, if you paid attention as you were singing, Micah's music was basically one through nine. This is what we must know. And in verse six, he sets up our text for today by saying, you should always be of good courage. If you know your home is in heaven, if you know it's eternal, if you know it's indestructible, if you know it cannot be taken away, if you long for it, if you've been given the Holy Spirit, then you will be bold and courageous. That's what it says, verses 7 and 8. It also says in verse 7, that if this is true, that we will walk by faith. Look at verse 9. If this is true, we will always aim to please Him. And verse 10 is absolutely critical to understanding the text today. Here is the truth. Whether you are perishing without Christ or whether you are being saved, verse 10 says we will all stand before the Lord. Therefore, you see, verse 11, therefore, the main idea today is as ministers of reconciliation, we must resolve to embrace our God-given ministry and deliver our entrusted message. You see, there are four essential resolves if we're going to evangelize our one and the nations. Why did I pick resolve? <laughs> because I can resolve to lose 30 pounds, but if I can't quit eating the cake and the ice cream and going by Wendy's, it's never going to happen. 
Resolve means to decide firmly on a course of action. First thing he says, look at verse 11. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We must persuade others. This is our resolve. But context is king here. You see, first, connected to verse 10, inseparably, is that we must fear the Lord. Now, you see, it's really important to understand the first nine verses, lest you think that we as children are constantly under the threat of eternal condemnation. If you look at the first nine verses, you know for sure you have to already have put that one to bed. Our, our salvation is eternal, indestructible, guaranteed. It's not what he's talking about in the fear of the Lord. This is a healthy, reverend fear of Christ's displeasure. This affects the choices, listen, that we do in the body. That's what he said in these first nine verses. We are here in this tent. And the fear of the Lord is a healthy fear. It is a corrective fear. You see, there are those in this context of this passage that are troubling Paul, that are attacking his ministry. The fear of God is a corrective in our lives. It keeps us to, to waste our lives living carelessly. And listen, that's what it looks like when we lose our mission. When we think a job is more important than those that are going to hell, we have lost it. And the fear of God is a healthy corrective that God gives, us, gives His children. We must persuade others, but it's not what you think. He's not saying here we persuade others of the gospel. Not directly. The context here is teaching us that He wants to persuade others with the integrity of His life. Remember, His ministry is in question here. Take the ministry by simply ruining the messenger. That's what's going on. This is an intensely personal letter. Paul's defending his ministry. He's defending his integrity as a minister because it has been called into question. This is the context. This is important for us before we start talking about that we need to share the gospel with our one. Here's what he's able to say. My life reflects the message. It's in question. So he simply says, what's known about me to God and to you should be clear. So let me give you a couple illustrations to help understand what he's saying. Message. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We agree with that. Amen, that's our message. So then that looks like, that means if that's true, then the message I must give in this particular case, let's talk about the sex trade industry for a minute. It means that if based on that, my message is that this industry preys on the vulnerable children and women and should be fought against. Message, you agree with that? Here's... The problem, in, my, in someone's life, I look at porn at 2 a.m. and think nothing of it. You see the problem? Message is one thing, beginning and end, life in the middle, something completely different. Paul is saying, you can't do that with my ministry. Put my ministry in check. 
My life bears witness with my message. What if I said to you, as I said to Jason, Jason, I've come to this new conviction. I think absolutely every animal on the face of the earth should be valued and protected no matter what kind of animal, no matter what. He's like, man, that's a pretty big deal. And then I go on to say, you know, Christina got up this morning and she cooked us liver mush. It was standing crispy. I just love that. What would, he, what would he think? Your life is not bearing witness to your message. We must persuade others. Turn with me to Peter saying the same thing. First Peter, we looked at this text the other week. It grabs it for us. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's within you. That's our message, you see. That's our evangelism. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, your message and your life must bear witness with each other. We must resolve that in our life. That our lives... Bear witness to the message we proclaim. If it does not, it undermines the message. We must persuade others because these are inseparably linked now that we get our context right. We, we must persuade others because we are controlled by love. That's what it says. Verse 13. This is how he puts it. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. You see, remember we talked about culture. The Greco-Romans didn't like it when men especially get excited. They wouldn't have liked me. I get sort of passionate when I preach. They don't like that. They want you to stay calm. They wanted to hear good rhetoric. They wanted to hear a good argument. They didn't want to get you, they didn't want to get excited. They saw it as you was losing control. <laughs> Paul's saying, if I'm crazy, I'm crazy about the glory of God and the good of His church. Oh no, I'm not out of control. Look at what he says. I am controlled. You see that word? That word means compelled. It means restrained. The best word that I like is governed. He said, my life. You see the context? My integrity of life and my message is controlled by the love of Christ. Well, what does that look like? It's another resolve, isn't it? Look at verse 15. Back out to 14. 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's a message and a life here. You see it? The message, He died for us. True? Amen. We are now dead to ourselves. True? Then we must now live for Him. That's our life. Romans 6, 4, and 5. Uses baptism here. When it says, We are buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might what? Walk in the newness of life. 
Galatians 2.20, we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by, in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the resolve. This is what it looks like to be controlled by Christ. This is what Paul is saying. My life and ministry parallel. They reflect each other because I am controlled by Christ. And now he brings you and me into this. We must resolve that we are a new creation. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, you see that? If anyone, now he's brought you into the picture. Not just Paul, not just Timothy, not just Peter, not just Apollos. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's not just true of me, Corinthians church. It's true of you. Everyone who is in Christ. If you back up and back into 2 Corinthians and back up just a page or two to chapter 3, he's already talked about being a minister. You look at chapter 3, look at verse 4. You can see the intense personal nature. There is a defensive tone to his language even all throughout this letter. Such is the confidence that we have, look at verse 4 now, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Here it is, verse 6, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a what? A new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Oh, we've studied this before, haven't we, brothers and sisters? The old is gone. That's the old me and the desires that go with it. Christ's life, death, and resurrection dealt with that. He promised to me my old is gone, never to be threw up in my face again. And the new me has come. The new me with new desires. Christ's life, death, and resurrection seem fit to that. He gave me not only new desires, He gave me a new spirit. Hebrews 10, 19 to 20, simply quotes. Hebrews does that a couple places. The covenant that was promised. You remember? Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah. There's a new covenant coming. A new way coming. Verse 22 of Hebrews 10 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, we are new. And all of it, look at verse 18. All that is before verse 18 and all that is after verse 18 is from God. You are controlled by Christ. And you are in Christ. Because it was God's will to save you. It's good news. Paul and the church now. We are new creations in Christ. But listen, look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. We regard people according to the Spirit. Are they a new creation? That's the question. It's not the question of whether they said a prayer or signed a card when they were eight. It's not what you want to ask somebody on their deathbed. 
Are you a new creation? This is the question. All of it's from God. But the reality is this. Not everybody is. That's why we're telling you to identify your one. Why? Because not everybody is a new creation in Christ. And we regard nobody according to the flesh. But if they have been indwelled by the Spirit. Remember 1 Corinthians 1.18? There's only those that are perishing and those that are being saved. There's no middle ground. And so he says all of this to get to the last and most critical resolve for us today of that of an evangelist when he says this three-part reality in verses 18 to 21. We are ambassadors entrusted with a ministry and a message. So look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. This is the heart of what those that are Persuaded, their life bears witness to their message. Those that are controlled by Christ. Those that are new creations. Look at it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is king language. This is so hard for us to get a hold of because we don't have kings now. This is king language. I, we, we do praise, praise the Lord we have ambassadors, and this is going to help us here in a minute. But this is, this is a king who appoints an ambassador to represent him to another country. This is the image he paints. A sovereign ruler who appoints an ambassador to represent him and his interest to another country. We meet every week um, to look at the message with other pastors. And we talk about what, what we're working on and... And what, and what the message is looking like in our studies. I, I really enjoy it. It's the favorite, my favorite day of the week. And speaking to one of our pastors who's preaching at Parkwood this morning. He was a missionary to China. And he said while he was over in China, the, the United States representative to China invited, invited him into her home. And he was able to go there and speak to her. And he became increasingly aware that even at the meal, she was representing the United States. And so he asked her, what is, what is it like to be in another country and to represent the United States? You see, this helps us. Because she just doesn't represent the United States when she speaks the message to the, to the people that she's supposed to be talking to. She reflects the United States when she gets in the car and rides down the street. Everywhere she goes, she is seen as the ambassador, the representative of the United States of America. Do you feel that? Can you get a hold of that a little bit this morning? you feel what she feels? This weighty privilege? That's what it means to be saved. We have put these things to bed of who we are. Our destination is secure. But God has given us an ambassadorship. And it is a weighty privilege that we do it. And we do it in the fear of the Lord. Paul's saying this is what comes out of my new creation identity. It's these two things. I am controlled by the love of Christ. And now it's here. I've been given a responsibility to represent Christ. And he's going to accomplish it now as an ambassador two ways. Through the embracing the, his ministry and delivering his message. They're really inseparable. But do you understand what we're saying this morning? Not what I am saying. What 
Paul is saying that to be a Christian is to be an ambassador. And listen, this is true of a discipleship, and it's true of this ambassadorship this morning. You are representing Christ. Whether you have spoke the gospel in the last week or not, or the last month, if you have never shared the gospel and you claim to be in Christ, you are in your silence representing Christ. We represent Him, and we, like Paul, want to be faithful to the... And we have been given a ministry. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, and listen to the language... And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave. Now, this is not like I go over to growth group tonight. Gianna says, hey, Stephen, you want another piece of pie? I said, I'm going, no, Gianna, I'm full. See, she tried to give it, but I'm full. Don't want it. No, thank you. That's not what that means. (laughs) It means he granted He gave means that the king appointed you as an ambassador and he gave you a ministry. It comes with it. It's it's appointed. It's connected to his calling. Look Look at what the ambassador has to realize first. This is huge. Verse 18. All this is from is from God, who through Christ reconciled who? Us. So what does the ambassador first must realize? That I had to be reconciled. In other words, we're going to get to reconciliation in a minute. But the first thing an ambassador has to realize, I was once not okay with the Almighty. I had a problem I couldn't fix. He reconciled me. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But look at just the word ministry. It just means what it means. This word means serving. It's the same word we use for the word deacon. To say a serving ministry is really redundant. Sometimes it's helpful to be redundant. It simply means a role done in a service to others. It's important in evangelism. To, to put on you what God puts on you, but don't put on you what God does not put on you. You are not the reconciler. Matter of fact, one of my favorite stories is the prodigal son. Because you know who the hero of the story is? It's the father. It's this picture of God. And what is he doing? And when he sees the son coming, what does he do? He runs to him. That's the character of the God in this passage. He is a reconciler. He is Christ at the well who puts himself intentionally there to engage. Our growth group is going to talk about Christ, the evangelist. He is the server. He's also a giver. This is a serving ministry. And it's a giving ministry. Look at the end of verse 20. You see the word? It says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his Appeal, you see that word? His appeal through us. It's the water pipe illustration. He's given us to be conduits. This is the ministry. We bring a gift. It is an appeal. An appeal is an earnest invitation. Acts 20, 24, just listen to it. Paul says, I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish 
my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's his ministry. And if you're a Christian today, it's yours. Some of you may not like this next word. But it's just in the Bible. Our ministry is a serving ministry. It is a giving ministry. It's a begging ministry. It's a powerful picture. Read it again. Verse 20. By the way, this is how you understand the Bible. You read it again. You read it again. Broaden it out. Read it again. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore. That word implore means two things in Scripture. It means to beg and it means to pray. And it's used in just as many times in Scripture as pray as it does to beg. But all times it is used. It is means in a sense of urgency, in a sense of pleading, in a sense of urgency. This is a summary of how we declare our ministry. We implore. We are beggars. Notice who's sending the message. God is. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making His appeal. We're begging people to be reconciled to God because that's His message. We are ambassadors given a ministry and we are entrusted with a message. Look at verse 19. It says, That is, in Christ was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Here it is. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's one of our words again. That's one of our kingly words. He appointed an ambassador. He, he appointed the ministry. And he assigns a responsibility. That's what that word means. It means this. That the king writes down the message. He rolls his message up. He seals it with his signet ring. He hands it to the ambassador. Their responsibility at that point, deliver it. And when I deliver it, I'm just not going to say, thus saith the king. I'm going to make my appeal with the message. I'm going to implore people, the country, listen to the message from the king. The message, this message he gives us is a message about God. It is a message about man. It is a message about Christ. And it calls for a response. It is a message about God who is sovereign and good and created you and me to enjoy Him and to love Him and to serve Him. But instead, we wanted to be God. We wanted to be in control of our life. And we all rebelled and went our own way. This caused separation between God and man. And God did not leave us to Him ourselves, but sent His own Son, taken on the very humanity onto himself and provided a way to bring Christ, to bring man back to God. 
This is the message. And according to this text, it is the message of reconciliation. Look with me now. I want you to do this again. We, I think we, we, we did this last week. I want you to count reconciliation as I read. Okay? So your job is to do what? Count reconciliation. Verse 18. We're going to read through 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses in against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we appeal as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Just through verse 20, how many times have you counted? Five times, that's right. So, what's the point of the text? Reconciliation, right? That's the message. This is the point. Paul's saying, my life has lived with integrity, but just so that I can get to the message. The message is a message of reconciliation. God is the reconciler, and listen, He is the offended party. We offended Him, and yet God is the reconciler. Think about it for a minute. A small country, just a speck in comparison to the United States, is committing hostile acts against the United States. America could snuff them out with his military, you know, 30 minutes one morning. They could crush them with economic sanctions. But instead, the president sends an ambassador. The ambassador has given a message. His job is to deliver the message. The message is overwhelming to the ambassador, but he delivers it. The message is this. We will deposit $20 billion into your economy, and we have three major corporations ready to set up into your country today. You need only to acknowledge your hostility and enter into a covenant with us. This is the message of reconciliation. We have offended him, and yet he sent his own son. So the gospel begins, doesn't it? With reconciliation. It ends with reconciliation. Here is the bad news. We have offended him. Romans 5, 9 and 10 says, Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death. Much more now we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. The ministry involves delivering a message. It does. And this message begins with some bad news. Man has offended God. God is offended. Everyone stands to judgment before God. But God has provided a way to reconcile us to himself. This reconciliation is called in the Bible propitiation. When you hear the word propitiation, here's what you need to think. Wrath removing substitute. So let me give you an example. 1 John 4.10 says this, And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the wrath removing substitute for our sins. This is the very heart of of reconciliation. There is no better verse. There's no more concise verse in all of Scripture to share the gospel than what exists here in verse 21. It's the most ex ex 
concise explanation of reconciliation that I know with Scripture. It says in verse 21, read it slowly. For our sake, He made Him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This is good news, brothers and sisters. And this has bad news attached to it. 1918, an influenza epidemic hit the United States and the world. It only lasted 15 months. 500 million people worldwide fell sick. And we lost 3 to 5% of the world's population. And we've had epidemic after epidemic throughout history. And yet the old Puritans are right. Sin is called the plague of all plagues because it affects absolutely every person and it, and it affects every person and it is 100% fatal. And unlike a disease that can kill your body but cannot touch your soul, death can touch both. Sin can touch both. Verse 21, we have to understand this in delivery of the message. The heart of this message is reconciliation. Now hang with me. At the cross, Christ was treated as if He committed my sins and yours. But He Himself was without sin. That's what verse 21 says. In other words, He was our substitute. Our, at the cross, our sin was imputed. It was counted. It was charged to Him. And He took our justice. Romans 5, the very wrath of God fell upon Christ for us. This and this only brings forgiveness. Nothing else does. Not your good works. Not your good deeds. The Bible says they're all filthy rags. It is Christ's work. This and this only brings forgiveness. The removal of not only our sin, but the death that comes with it. So that, verse 21... This is what we call the great exchange. You see? For our sake, He made Him to be sin and knew no sin. Why? So that in Him, here's the exchange, we might become the righteousness of God. He just doesn't save you and forgive you and leave you empty. At the cross, righteousness was imputed. It was charged. It was counted to our account. Christ's holy perfection. And to prove it, He indwells you with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. This is the message, brothers and sisters, to the most hostile, to the most depraved, to the most needy, to the most broken. God offers full and free reconciliation to God by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it must be received faith so we are resolved this morning I pray to persuade others by the fact that our very lives reflect the message I pray that we are resolved that as new creations that we are now going to be controlled by Christ not convenience we are resolved that as his messengers and representatives God has placed in our hand a message of God's full and free gift of salvation it must be received by faith. So what? 
hopefully is so then. Let's go back to our question. If you ask Paul, who's your one? What would he say? I believe without any shadow, and you need to listen to me, because everything we do with pray and go, and everything I'm asking you to do now is based off of what I'm about to say. Paul would say, without a blink, the Jews. Without a blink today, he would write the Jews on my chalkboard. Do you remember what Paul said? I would, I would wish that I myself were cursed, cut off from Christ, that my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, might be saved. Paul loved the Jews, but they hated Jesus. Why should I intercede in prayer for my one? Why should we stand in front of every home in King's Mountain? Because they are our community. And they are either perishing or they are being saved. And there's no in between today. And God has set us here for such a time as this. Romans 10.1 Paul's speaking to the people that he loves more than anything. And in Romans 10.1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul interceded on behalf of his one, and he calls us to do the same. We pray because the love of Christ, our intercessor, controls us. How can you prepare yourself to engage your one? Well, there are some practical ways. The next two weeks of our growth group is designed based off of that to try to help equip you. But just ask yourself the question. Don't be afraid to role play. My wife pushes me on this all the time. She did that the other day. We were doing something. She, she did this whole role play thing. And uh, it's her theater side of her. And uh, if someone asks you tomorrow at work, what's the gospel? What are you going to say? Go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. We need to be able to explain this to people. He became sin. He took sin onto his account so that he might give you his righteousness. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God's raised him from the dead, we can be saved. Like Mike said, that's the message. Will you proclaim it? God has given us a precious gift to never ever hold your sins to your account and my sins at my account. He's brought us into a family of people who loves each other unconditionally. Gives us His Spirit. He gives us the promise of heaven and all that that means. And He says, I have put you here on earth for the ministry of reconciliation. Will you embrace it? Good news as we respond in worship today. I think our songs are going to teach us this again. Just listen to me and we're done. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To one a fragrance of death to death and to other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men, as men of sincerity, commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we... We bow before your word and the truthfulness of it. We, we, are, we are grateful that though we needed a problem to be, we had need of reconciliation. You have reconciled us. And now, Lord, we see this truth you've given us. So, Lord, may we not be reluctant ambassadors. Make us passionate ones, Lord. Oh God, pull your spirit out on your people. God, we ask you that in one year that we might be able to fill up the baptistry here with people that you have redeemed for yourself that names are written on the board out there. Because one day, many years ago, we were on somebody else's board. And thank you that you brought the gospel to us through them. We thank you for this weighty privilege. And now, Lord, may we respond in worship and by praying for our one, praying for our community, praying for our neighbors. And opening our mouths to declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they might be saved. We trust you, Lord. Give us the strength and the boldness to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.